Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational podcast by and for Keyforge friends. And I am here with my Keyforge friend, SC Steele. What is going on, Sydney? Not much, not much. How about you? Oh, you know, just living the dream, wishing I could play more <laughs> Keyforge. That is that is the the plight of my life currently is a lack of keys being flipped and not due to my lack of skill in being able to flip keys, but just time <laughs> in the general essence of playing Keyforge. But we are today, of course, continuing on with our series where we look back on the bouncing death quark house rules episodes. And guess what? We are at the last house that they did, which was Dis. But it doesn't stop here, folks. It does not know. We are continuing on with our own little assessment of the houses that were not done. And uh, we're going to be kicking things off with Unfathomable today because they are the natural pairing to Dis. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have a follow-up episode with the Saurians and Starlines, which I think could be a meaty one, Sydney. Oh yeah, that's going to be big. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. So before we get into this, I just wanted to comment on how I find it quite interesting that each house kind of has a role out of the three, which it definitely gravitates to more on a consistent basis than like a like one or it's not like a it can be anywhere it's it's there's generally one that it really wants to lean to have you noticed that as well i feel like it's it's kind of a spectrum like there are some houses that were mm. really really bad at one and then really good in the others but then there were some more versatile that had a little bit of everything and so like if you right. put if you put all the houses all nine houses on a spectrum or 10 at this point ha if you put all 10 on a spectrum like there are some that fall all the way to one end all the way to the other or just somewhere in the middle like a Venn diagram little yeah. action there. Oh, I think who in the community is going to do this? Who will create the <laughs> Venn diagram of houses? We want to see it. Um, yeah, I, I think that is uh, a great way of putting it, actually. there Because there are some, like, I feel like especially last week's episode with Logos right. Untamed. Exactly. They really hard lean to one role. Like, mm-hmm. really hard, actually. Whereas... Um, I think, you know, what's weird is I feel almost like the Brobnar and Sanctum had had a nice versatility Absolutely. in a way, but they definitely lean towards the main houses. And it's, and it's kind of interesting seeing this all play out now after like having this discussion over the weeks and having a talk on all of them since we've been doing them sequentially. It's, it's really interesting to, to kind of have this, this overview of everything. And I, and I've enjoyed that part of this discussion the most, I think. For sure. I think like setting up this structure was really fun doing my own like thinking on Unfathomable and like yes. what would they have said and what would they have thought and and how does it fit into the structure they created? Totally. And then there's also the fact that when you have a deck, it's completely different than looking at a card pool. Because like when we did this for Unfathomable, we were obviously looking at the card pool of Unfathomable. But the truth is you also had to recall how do these cards come? Like how is the algorithm Absolutely. spinning them out together? Which creates the need to be able to identify a role just by looking at the composition of cards you have on an Archon card, which is a whole nother skill, I think. And it's a really unique one, which I mentioned, obviously, in the Help from Future Self from last week when I played Seal, I went through that process. And as I've been looking on some decks to buy on DOK, uh, 
I'm not gonna lie it's because they've been talking about certain things that exist and i was like oh i want to look for that now and uh <laughs> as a result i was like how does this fit does it have the composition i'm looking for because i'm looking for this to exist in like a main house sort of thing so do these components exist oh there's only four creatures but it has these other components nope this isn't going to work because it won't be a main house it's mm-hmm. a really fun exercise to do is like actually taking the time to train yourself to identify how a house can play in a deck and it definitely makes it for a stronger play because if you know what house is leaning towards what activity you can you can decide whether to hold on to cards like if you have a mm-hmm. main house you're probably going to be playing your cards so much more so if you have actions that you you want to hold on to maybe that isn't the best thing to do for a house that you're you're going to burst or support with yeah, exactly. And then it also provides you the the understanding of you should stop trying to cycle because you've established a main house situation on the board and that's the composition you want and you should just keep leaning into it until it's sort of uh, been addressed. And that's something that really helped me when I was talking about my sealed play last week because of the fact that I had this knowledge and this understanding that I need to lean into this. I I just didn't mind not cycling at all, even though it's sealed. And I find in sealed, you tend to play a cycle game a little bit more. Um, you le- I, I find I lean to that strategy at least more, more like, I'm not sure what to do. Let's just cycle. And I felt I had more purpose and I guess a path that I wanted to follow when I was playing. Interesting. That's a good point. I really do agree with that, that you heavily rely on playing the best turn instead of the best like long-term strategy. Like you have more cards of this house, so you play that house. Like that's my more of a fallback for Sealed than it is for Archon. Yeah. And I and I found once I had went through the process of identifying like the main support burst sort of opportunities in the deck I was playing it, it really allowed me to have a better understanding of how to play. So this, this whole system that bouncing death court created as an evaluation tool of the houses themselves it actually is a really great tool when you have a new deck that you're not familiar with is identify the role that exists and then it can help you not just be playing for the sake of cycling or because you're not sure what to do it gives you a little bit more understanding of maybe the the intent the deck wants so with all that said, why don't we hop into Dis? Because I think this is such an interesting house to evaluate in this sense. I would agree. One of the things they mentioned at the beginning was that Dis is powerful and strange, and I couldn't agree more because when what they were looking at being Coda, they were looking at a lot of very like different mechanics than what we see now. They the this had some of the the weirdest things that it could do and some of the like only instances of some of the mechanics that had been printed so far and and more control than any other house. Totally. They definitely did. What did you find about the way they they summed up the house because I I thought that was quite interesting. I don't know if I completely agreed with them actually, but I, I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, this hindsight. Is the first time. Exactly. Like we have a lot more, not only a lot more time since they did it, but we have so many more cards and so many more sets. And and this has evolved to to stray a little bit farther away from from how they got into the the different three. Totally. Yeah. So, and- yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more in, in that sense. And and I wondered if it's my knowledge of also how the coda now plays in the current 
like state of going against other sets. Is that part of the reason why I'm not totally agreeing with what was happening? But I did think as a when they talked about them not as a main house, I thought that was kind of interesting because because I realize that people call disc quite frequently, mm-hmm. but it's it's generally not with the strongest board in Coda. Yeah. But it's just the the pool of cards you have, and if you can get a couple more of them and lean into it, it caused you to call them like a main house, but it didn't have that infrastructure, if we're going to talk about that point, they said, on the board the same way. But it does have those artifacts that create that main house feel almost because you can utilize them over and over and in such a more such a powerful way. Absolutely. Like they they were talking about how the creatures were, there were substantial enough creatures that they could have like a main house of creatures on the board, but so many of the like hard hitting or important creatures, the ones that you wanted to see were so weak and, and transitory that they needed protection. So if there was going to yes. be a substantial board, it needed incredible support from another house for them to stay on the board. Because if you have certain creatures that are so threatening to the opponent, they're, they're not going to let them stay on the board and that just doesn't make for a good main house no but i did like how they talked about them in the support role because i think that is if we're doing the venn diagram where they kind of lean to a little bit more due to the nature of being a disruption house that you're supporting yourself by throwing off your opponent absolutely like a lot of the abilities I would call defensive abilities. Like a lot of mm-hmm. what this does, it's it's either reactionary or it just prevents the opponent from hurting you. So it might mm-hmm. be control and, and aggressive to where like you are telling them what to do, but also it's making it so that your opponent can't do that back to you. And so I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the support comes from allowing your main and burst house to do their thing and not be interrupted by your opponent. I agree. And it, and again, this had those passive support abilities, which crept up in Untamed, where they're supporting by creating a passive ability once it's on the board that has to be dealt with. So it's just like one of those annoying mosquitoes that you got to swat basically. and Like decoy you so, creatures, yeah. Yeah, totally. And they, they even mentioned it like that. Like it's going to distract from maybe your actual house because this thing is is creating a nuisance. But they aren't big creatures. Like they're not hard to deal with. They just need to be dealt with type of right. thing. And I thought it was interesting though because in contrast to the untamed support is untamed what it's doing is helping you but this is actually hindering your opponent so the effect is much more they're feeling the pain of it in their own gameplay whereas untamed when it was doing it it was they were feeling the pain because you as their opponent were advancing in a way that was more detrimental to them getting to the end totally i think one of the the quintessential um artifacts that that support that idea is Eaton's Jar because yes. you you are not forwarding your own game with that card. But yet it is one of the scariest artifacts in the whole game of Keyforge. Because if you know, mm-hmm. especially if it's you're playing Archon and you can see the other player's Archon list, like you know what card they aren't going to be able to play as soon as you put Eaton's Jar down. But does that yes. really like get you closer to forging? No. No. 
Yeah, and it's uh like so the way they talked about it, and then the burst makes sense. Like the burst that they do is it's it's pretty obvious. I think we all know the cards that exist in there and they talked about it. Like it does have a burst component. It just doesn't happen in a way that leads you to forging more keys necessarily. It's just it's bursting in a control sense. And I and I kind of I do appreciate dis as a burst house, but I think it's where I will enjoy them the least. That's something that I I came to realize as I was listening to their episode is that this doesn't really do Amber. Like we all know that no. obviously like there is Amber to be had in this, but if that is the goal of your house, then that's, that's actually a weakness of your deck because this goal isn't to do Amber, even though some like cards have pips or if you have your snudge on the board, it can reap for Amber, but like you're not using your snudge to get Amber. That's just no. the, the side effect of using the card. And there's very niche things that can create that, like the like they mentioned the soul snatcher, and then you're blowing up boards and stuff like that. And if you have the dust imps, all those things coming together, but it's it's such a niche thing that you can't rely on that as a as the composition of a dis house in a general sense. It's something that you can have, and it can be a fun thing to exploit, but it's not something you'll be able to do in the average disc deck. Absolutely. And I think that it's it's burst like as much as control can be a burst. I I also think that there's just a lot of management going on. So like controlling is is more I think like to your opponent, but you're also like controlling the whole board. So you're managing mm-hmm. how your side is also reacting because there are board wipes there's so many board wipes in dis that you like like gateway to dis. You're you're also it's two-sided. So you have to know how it's going to affect your side. And with a lot of like there are a lot of cards in dis where death equals amber. So yes. that that is a way to burst in a small way. And then you also have like the way we talked about logos, that they were a burst house, but they're not really forwarding your game other than setting you up for a good turn with another house this is doing the same thing except hindering your opponent right from moving forward so it's interesting how logos it's actually interesting how dis is on the opposite end of a scale with different houses like between untamed and between logos if you're in the burst or support role and i and i found that comparison the most interesting part when listening to the bdq explanations of everything interesting I think that, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So now let's move on to some of the houses that have come since then. And AOA, like, I'm, I, I really dislike the fact that AOA is talked about the way it is, but you can't <laughs> not call a spade a spade. It just, it just is what it is. AOA is just a worse version of Coda at the end of the day. And I think like in Dis, it was kind of the most apparent because they had yep. specific cards that were worse versions of previous the, the totally cards. it did it did the exact same thing as as Coda did. It just did it not as well. That's that's right. the plain and simple fact. And then you had these filler cards that you didn't really care about that were doing the we'll call it the essence of what Dis was, but you didn't really care to do it. Like, I'm sorry, the key imps, I could (laughs) never care for those cards. Like, they're one of the most useless cards, I think, that have been printed. I thought they were interesting, but they just didn't land in the end. 
Yeah, I think that they're, they're like, shout out to a, a couple of really good cards that came out in AOA, but there was also totally. some pretty bad ones, like Ortanu the Chained. I I never. I love that it. card. Oh, I know, I know you 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 talked about how much you like that card. I have a weird place in my heart for it. I don't know why. I can acknowledge it's not great, but it's it's a fun card for me, and I don't know why. <laughs> but wretched doll, come on! Like I think that is it is, is touted one of the as worst the artifacts. worst artifacts ever. I don't think yeah. I, I think disc got hit pretty hard by the the AOA slump. There's three things I think that came from it though that were amazing. One is anguish. Mm. great card that actually got better over time i thought yeah okay because when we when that showed up in mass mutations with all the damage pips you suddenly had a nice use for those singular damage pips that could create some some fun things and dis happened to have the production of damage pips within their own um enhanced creatures and then of course i think one of the best cards to get printed came in aoa and that is exhume oh yeah it's hard not to give a huge shout out to Exhum. Like I think from if we're if we're skipping the rares, because obviously Martian Generosity exists within AOA, but in AOA, I think the two best cards that came out of AOA is Exhum and Ronnie Wrist Clocks. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean I just like control the weak got a pip, I definitely don't think Exhum needed a pip. Definitely not. That was definitely over uh over the top. But I mean, Exhum was such a great card because it could honestly it filled in like main house support burst whatever you want to call it it did it you just had to decide what you needed and it would set you up to be in that position which i thought was so cool of that card oh totally and then another card i want to give a shout out to is the yerk line i think the yerk line was a very interesting card to exist within house dis and the reason i feel this is for is it did something that we didn't see in disc, which it created that efficiency boost for disc, where you got to cycle more. And it stayed in the essence of disc because of the discarding factor, but allowed you to potentially get rid of some mediocre cards so you could draw into more good cards or set up a main house that you wanted. It just provided a flexibility that uh, was really nice. Yeah, that's just another one I never got the hang of. It wasn't something like Ancient Year discarding three cards. It just never felt appropriate. Maybe one, most two, but three were really painful. I didn't mind it. I found that it had its place. You just had to be ruthless and not, (laughs) and that's all it came down to. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Don't worry about the rest. Um, Let's move on to Worlds Collide. Now, uh, I thought, what, what were your thoughts on Worlds Collide, Sydney? I wanna, I'm curious what you thought before I get into mine. So I actually really, really liked Discworlds Collide, especially coming Same. off AOA. But a lot of the cards that I liked also just simply continued on from Coda. And there there were a handful of new ones. Like, obviously, Infernus was probably the obviously. best card in that set. And and the leader, Lord Invidious, was the best leader to, well, okay. Zenzi, Zenzi, Zendik, like we talked about, pretty great. But like Lord NVIDIA's also up there. But other than that, like I, I really just like the the consistency of how well it vibed with all of the other houses in Worlds Collide. Mm. I, I would agree. I definitely thought that in Worlds Collide, Dis took on a main house role much more strongly. Oh, okay, okay. Because you had you had cards that you could use more. You had a card like you mentioned, Lord Invidious, which as a turn one play, 
it, it, it's basically like all leaders are amazing turn one plays. Right. Uh, Zenzi is the best because you instantly got a reward for using it. But Lord Invidious, I understand why you're like, it's the best leader because it, that's not an inaccurate statement, but it has a chance to be responded to. Whereas Zenzi, you get it right away. But if you don't respond to Lord Invidious, you've almost lost the game. Sure. Like it's like as soon as you're suddenly getting your creature stolen, so it creates a bigger main house because everything's becoming disc that's stolen. It just you get this huge board and you can just keep calling disc over and over and over again. It, I really found that the main house aspect started to really take shape, and there were creatures that existed within it that you would have in your main house that were quite strong in the sense that they provided reap abilities like i'm thinking of bornet so you're getting the mm -hmm. disruption like i have a deck with lord invidious and a bornet and if i get the bornet out and can use both and i can start looking through your deck and getting rid of your removal so now you can't deal with that uh that lord invidious it's mm -hmm. even crazier i think the other side oh sorry go ahead no go ahead the other side of that same coin is that it just simply became a little bit of worse of a support house because yes, I would, it's that's what I felt too. Totally, because like just the the bane cards, just yep. a, as an example, like it didn't like the other houses in the same deck, and it specifically yes. targeted the other houses in the same deck. So it was just giving an example of the less of help the this deck and more hurt the opponent. Mm -hmm. Yes, and. And then as I was saying, um, with the, the main house thing was the EE on the fringes came in, which wanted you to have a dis main house because then all those cards, like the Banes you're talking about, was like, sure, you don't get the pip by discarding, but you get to steal. So it's actually like you're getting two Ember, so it worked out. Mm -hmm. And then there was just a lot of cards that had fight or reap abilities, which you didn't really see the same way in the past. And then obviously Rock Grub created that main house because you could reap get an ember archive it play it again your opponent loses an ember it just created i thought a little bit more of the utility of calling it over and over again and i think we can also give a shout out to it as a burst house in worlds collide yes. because obsidian forge came onto the scene and it was suddenly able to like just comboing within its own house get a key and that was something that once you were able to do that, like this was such a desirable house in Worlds Collide. Mm -hmm. Totally. And then if we go on to Mass Mutation, the last iteration of Dis before they got the axe. Uh, I mean, I felt it went back to Coda with Worlds Collide combination. Like you saw more of the the things that existed in Coda tweaked and re-emerging. And then on top of it, the main house aspect, like I mean, it's pretty oppressive as a main house when you can get enough creatures. I mean, not to mention Lord Invidious is still here. And then on top of it, you have the sins potentially. And Gateway and, comes back. Yeah, there's just so many things in this that really lead to you calling dis over and over again and having great things. Like even, you know, the 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 standard mutant cards, you know, that exist, like all the fiends or the the Umbra Techno Xeno, and then whatever it happens to be in relation to the house. Those abilities were really nice within the dis suite, I thought. I think it's its support role came back a teeny bit with Essence Scale because yes. you could be in um, dis and then 
use creatures from other houses. But although because you were destroying those creatures, it didn't really help out a main house as much, but it did help out a burst house. Yes. Yeah. If you if you burst it and only put a couple creatures out, it allowed you to not have to call that house again or feel inclined to. Exactly. And then get to still use that effect again. Yeah, totally. I would definitely agree. Uh, I really like uh, mass mutation discs, but I have to say sometimes you get some janky combinations of cards, but the, the potential is there and it does exist. Mm-hmm, totally. I think that one of my uh, favorite returnees was uh, Guilty Hearts because yes. it, it just... Like there were so many, it was interesting how many cards, I think this had the most, in Mass Mutation, had the most cards returned straight out of Coda than any other house. Yeah, and it was it was refreshing because they were cards. And then you saw other versions like the Grim Reminder came back came in as a mm-hmm. replacement for Control or for Arise, which I thought was really appropriate. And I'm a personal advocate. I think it's better than arise personally oh interesting because your hand's not clogged so if you want to call a house that's like as a support role grim reminder now provides you to get your main house back in spades and then call it the next turn and still draw up that's why i really like that card gotcha no that makes sense all right so i think it's time to move on to unfathomable let's give them some love so hot take on unfathomable sydney the house, do you like it? I am not the biggest fan. <laughs> All right. So I actually love Unfathomable. I think they are such a cool house. I do not like the way the algorithm distributes the cards the majority of the time. Oh, okay. Like when I look at the composition, there are things I really like and there's things I'm looking for and I find I don't have what I'm looking for together enough. And so it creates an issue like, for example, sleep with the fishes, destroy each exhausted creature. Somehow that card very rarely comes with the other cards that exhaust all your opponent's creatures so that you get to actually have this amazing sort of one-sided board wipe. Interesting. So I rarely see it. I think I think my my hot take comes from I think Unfathomable is trying to be dis with the control and Mars with the combo, but just mm. like you said, the cards don't come up enough together to to combo enough to control enough. Like oftentimes I come into the problem that I think we mentioned last episode with Worlds Collide Logos that I can do a lot of things, but they're either things that end up cycling and get me nowhere or even if it's really cool, they don't actually get me anywhere closer to forging. They're like uh, Mars was in Coda, where, or was it AOA? Mars was in AOA, where Mars had so much repay that it just slowed down the game. I think Unfathomable, to me, just slows down the game because it prevents creatures from doing things. It either exhausts them or keeps them exhausted or takes them off the board, and it can keep doing that. Like That's the cycle problem I get into with Unfathomable. Mm, no, I totally get that. I mean, there there are some some cool things. Like for me, I feel that they are a great main house. Absolutely. I think that's because, where they shine. Yeah, because they have quite large bodies on average and they provide like everything. And I think cards like Portal, where mm-hmm. if the tide is high, you can keep calling it and keep getting that ember and putting it away. Like it's it's such a nice 
Um, or I guess you get two ember each time. Uh, no, you get one. Sorry, and then and then it just provides you just constantly getting ember just for calling the house. Essentially, it's it's really interesting. And then there's so many great reap effects that uh, usually you're getting an amber and then you're also usually having a controller disruption sort of effect go along with it, which I really liked. Yeah. Main house is really where you want to be because that means your creatures, you have a lot of creatures, they're on the board and you want to keep them there. And so whether they are, it's it's like the, the, the dis situation though, where like you're getting the awesome effects and side effect reaping, but because you have so many or they're all on the board and they're keeping down your opponent's creatures, they just keep reaping. And that is your engine that's going to get you towards a key. And I think although Unfathomable has great support cards mm, totally there, there are so many of them that affect both sides so your main house's creatures might not always be in a position to do what they need to do if unfathomable is your support house i do like them as a support house though in terms of how they create the passive effects so they're creating that passive support because if you have cards like Cowpay out, for example, as soon as it's out, your opponent has to deal with it mm-hmm. or they're not going to be able to just play the cards that they want to or do anything that they really want to do. And it just creates such an issue in in that regard. And then you have things like Kiri Guilt Spine, which is not affecting you, but it's a passive effect was once they reap, they cannot they're exhausted for a next turn. So it's it's really hindering your opponent's main house. And that's actually why I like Unfathomable. I think they're an amazing counter to another main house because not only are they big bodies, not only do they have a lot of like so many reap exhaust an opponent's creatures effect, you can actually use it as a main house for yourself, generate Ember by reaping, and then stop your opponent from calling their main house over and over but at the end of the day, it's not destroying it. It's just making it really annoying. So it also has that where you're not actually destroying. You're just being like extremely tedious to your <laughs> opponent, which has a psychological effect, I think, which is kind of funny. Sure, totally. And there there are some cards out there that that you can take a lot of advantage of if if your main house and your burst house, like let's say your main and burst house have a lot of play effects, then things like Maelstrom won't hurt you as much, or let's say they have a lot of negative effects or they they capture a lot of amber, then um, the artifact Whirlpool won't be as painful to have out. And so I yes. think that with the right other houses, then it can be a fantastic support house. But I, I don't think it's just a generic across the board, a great support house. No, there's definitely pieces that need to come together to make it work. I mean, I like Brain Drain also as a support house because it it sets you up for what you're going to do next because you know on your opponent's next turn they won't have that card. It's actually you don't have to worry about a card for two turns. And so you can really set yourself up nicely in, in that regard. And then it also has Corrode, which I think is one of the best removal cards in the game because of the versatility it provides. I think most of the time people are choosing it for the artifact destruction, but mm-hmm. it does give you that versatility if something else is a bit of a problem, especially like destroy a creature with an armor because you get sure. those annoying creatures that have a ton of armor. I mean, you have someone who throws in like, you know, those light of the Archon Voltron sort of cards and suddenly you just got rid of it because of that one upgrade. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So it just provides a versatility. So it's, it's you know what I would call it? It's, it's akin to destroy them all except you only get to choose one 
but I, I do like that that versatility of like, you know what, this is getting rid of exactly what I need and I can choose something else if I want. So I really like it in that regard. But I think we've both agree that this is an amazing main house. When you get the right composition of cards, especially it can do some just some truly oppressive things. For sure. Absolutely. So where would you like to see Unfathomable go moving forward? Because we've have obviously this is a singular instance where in the past we've been able to talk about a few things. Where do you think Unfathomable should should evolve into based on what happened here? Do you think it needs more of that burst sort of evolution because it is so poor in a way? I think there are two things that could happen that would make Unfathomable an even better house. One of those things is if there were more ways to like consequences that the opponent could choose. So I think it would make a a a better game if instead of like just locking out your opponent like like they did with this in with like they made so many iterations on control the week where your opponent has choices um but then i think another thing that would make it an even better support house is if they had less cards that affected both sides i think that because <clears throat> it it was a it's such a consequence to play a lot of the creature control cards that it might it might just end up with a lot of dead cards so i think that that unfathomable has a lot of room to grow in all three but because it already kind of fulfills a main and support role that it it has really easy ins to get better at both those things fair enough yeah so you're talking about like having more sort of illusions of grandeur type place yeah where, exactly yeah i like that so it's it's not just it's a more interesting decisions to be made when it's not like sorry you have to do this it's more like you don't have to do this, but if you do, there's a consequence. Right. I kind of like that because um, if you look at even the names of things, like they have something called like there's zealot, you have priests, like that that sort of that religious, you know, like take penance if you do sort of things is is kind of a a vibe that I feel they have in a lot of ways. Yeah. All right. So I think that wraps up for our Unfathomable. So just in summation, we determined that they are a great main house, have some have some good support, but their burst potential is really not there. And I think, you know what, the pro- you know why I think the problem with Unfathomable is they come up as a burst house a lot where you don't have a lot of creatures you can utilize. And sometimes uh-huh. the, the burst, you know, is just it's not bursting the way you really want it to. Yep. I think that's the issue. Or because the other two houses have to be a main and a support, like it's stuck in the burst role and just isn't fulfilling its job. Yeah, I would agree. I just want to give a shout out to the chosen one. I think that's one of my favorite turn one cards where it's uh, it's providing support. It's providing not really a burst, but like it's it's really hindering your opponent as a turn one play. One of my favorite turn one cards, I think maybe in the game, that's not giving you a direct benefit, but creating just a nuisance for your opponent. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty nasty card no matter when it comes out. Yeah, indeed. All right. So we cannot end an episode without the titular segment. This one is called Help from Future, from Self. future Self. Sydney, I understand you have a little bit of uh, future advice for your past self. So this time Wait, from your in- future self. For the past, I don't know how I, I just screwed that up. But anyways, everyone knows what I mean. You've heard of this enough times. 
this this ties into unfathomable actually and it it came up while while doing a little bit of research for this episode there are so many unfathomable cards with so much text but also so many conditions and so there is a lot of planning that can go on in a a, a deck if if you actually have so many conditions you have to meet or especially the tide and so this is kind of a, a little bit of a lot of different help from future selves where you want to make sure the board state is what you think it is, that you're reading all of the text of the cards and that the the card actually says what you think it says because there are new mechanics in Unfathomable. There are a lot of different interactions in Unfathomable. And especially if you're playing a couple of those cards in a row where things have to be exhausted or the tide has to be up, you really want to make sure that you're you're getting everything in the right order as well. So just a, a general reminder that if you're going to play Unfathomable or any set with a lot of text or mechanics involved, you want to you want to make sure you slow down and and take your time. I think that's a great piece of advice because the truth is, is we haven't really had a high level tournament where unfathomable or even the yeah. tide exists. And I'm interesting to see like how many misplays happen from the lack of just taking stock of the board state with all those different elements that now exist. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, you can find us on Discord. That is the place where we're we're going to be doing all of our discussing. Uh, Twitter is no longer a thing to a degree, just because I've noticed that our Twitter account is suddenly being spammed with NFT requests of some kind, <laughs> and it's really annoying. So that's kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. Maybe Elon Musk will change it. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I doubt it. And um, yeah, so just get us on our Discord. There's a link in the show notes on how to join if you're not already a part of it. Really great discussions going on there from past episodes. And uh, you can find both Sydney and I on Discord. I'm under Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. That's BLVD Blake. You can also get me on my YouTube there. And Sydney, where can people find you on Discord? I am SC Steel as always. And same name on TCO, right? You bet. So find Sydney for a game. And until next time, folks, stay fortunate.